Hello and welcome aboard the battleship Pretension. I'm David Bax. Uh, Tyler Smith is obviously still not here. If you want to know what's going on with Tyler Smith, I would suggest going to caringbridge.org slash visit slash Tyler and Jennifer Smith. And uh, you can check out all the updates that the the family has been providing there on on Tyler's uh, condition and, and his progress. You can also find a link there to the GoFundMe to help Tyler and his family with uh, their mounting medical bills. Um, that's uh, uh, been very helpful, I know, to them so far. And if we can keep uh, getting donations coming into that, it would uh, uh, continue to help as these things stretch on. So again, that's caringbridge.org slash visit slash Tyler and Jennifer Smith. Uh, why we have we have a guest here today, but first I want to tell you about tweakedaudio.com. Tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Uh, Tyler and I use them each and every day of our lives. Uh, again, generally, I don't know what Tyler's listening to uh, uh, in the facility where he is now, but uh, generally we do. Uh, today, um, all day, I was doing my part as uh, uh, an up-to-date, uh, you know, hip 40-year-old music fan, and I was listening to the new Taylor Swift album over and over today. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, count me uh, count me pro Midnight's. I like the sort of uh, uh, slinky pop style of it, kind of like subdued and... Uh, um, uh, kind of cheeky in, in the, in the lyrics. I, I, I really enjoy, I, I, I've really have, uh, come to be a big Taylor Swift fan somehow, uh, started with like 1989 and then I didn't like reputation, but ever since then I've liked pretty much everything and gone back as she's been re-recording her albums and realized, Oh, the stuff I dismissed early on was actually, uh, uh, pretty good and i'm seeing her her talents so uh midnights and midnights the 3 a.m edition which is the one with seven extra songs both sounded great on my tweaked audio.com earbuds that are available at a low low price at tweaked audio.com but if you use the offer code pretension at checkout you get one third off that low low price and no shipping charges so please go to tweaked audio.com and use the offer code pretension let's get into it shall we we're back and our guest is the world's biggest Taylor Swift fan uh, returning once again to talk horror movies for spooky season. It's Dallas Hallam. How are you doing? I'm good. Am I muted? No. Oh, oh I can I I press the mute button. No, no. Yes. So, yes. You warned me in advance that it was not going to be metal this yeah. time and it was not metal this time. <laughs> Although in a way, in like an attitude way, it's kind of metal. Is that right? Not, not the music, some... but your your pitch of it is like your oh. your your attitude about it is a metal attitude. Okay, yeah, I don't know. I um, uh, we're not here to talk music. We are, of course, as you <laughs> probably tell. Hopefully, I remembered to put the spooky version of the Battleship Pretension theme song on there. We're here to talk about horror movies, but let's talk about music a little bit because you are one of the few. I know you listen sometimes to the podcast, and you are one of the few listeners who probably really appreciates the occasional metal recommendation because yes. you are uh, a metal listener. How did uh, uh, this? On the Patreon, which listeners you can join at Battleship Pretension, uh, sorry, patreon.com slash Battleship Pretension. On the Patreon recently, or maybe this episode hasn't even posted yet, uh, I was asked the question of like, what like gateway albums or bands do you recommend for someone getting into to metal? And uh, you, for my answer, you can join the Patreon. But uh, I'll ask you, Dallas, how did you get, how did you become a metal 
uh, fan, a metalhead? Um, well, I guess I, so I'm from Birmingham, Alabama. And in early in high school, we were all getting into punk rock and uh, like the local stuff. And at the time, like pop punk was starting to kind of bubble up early no effects stuff and whatnot. Yeah. And I guess, um, I mean, as a very young person, everybody listened to Metallica and Megadeth and there were like the cooler, older kids who had Iron Maiden posters and things yeah. like that, that were very haunting. But um, I feel like you and I, I don't think I know exactly how old you are, but I feel like you and I must be like exactly the same age. Cause I seem to have yeah, the same. I'm references. 43. Oh, I'm 40. Okay. Okay. It's close enough. Yeah. Close enough. Yeah. So like I had, a, I, there was a guy who lived, when I was very young, there was a guy who lived on, lived on my street and we would ride bikes, but he was always like, listening to deicide and just morbid angel morbid real, angel the heart, big, yeah the stuff that i was too scared of at the as 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 like a you know five-year-old six-year-old um but i guess um i guess the band that really like lit my metal fire was um a band called kalara which is just i mean a very small band from virginia um and they were just uh huge on my huge on my uh in, um, in my life in my you know in my hood where i was from and stuff yeah yeah um, oh and then wait and then here's and here's i think a more but outside of that specific here here's the real answer is that the the punk the punk scene in birmingham when i was in high school kind of died out and was replaced by um okay sorry my wife is texting me frantically needing my hulu password so in a, in a moment i'm gonna have to take a second and give her that password um so anyway the punk scene got replaced by a 90s hardcore scene which i'm sure you're very familiar with yeah so it was just like victory records was the name yeah. of the game and so we were all listening to Snapcase and bloodlet and earth crisis and yeah De you know all that stuff and um and I guess moving into metal was just like the next logical step, you know, as, as you, as you kind of outgrew that stuff and started to get into the real thing, metal was the real thing. Yeah. I was, I mean, like, uh, I'll, I'll talk now so you can give you what the Hulu password. Okay. Great, great. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. I was also, I was a punk kid first. Um, and I, but I also, I felt like where in the subcultures where I was, it was like, punk or metal you did not mix the like the punk kids and the metal kids it felt like was very separate so i was only kind of like passively interested in it um i think the first time i really like i kind of like uh, i i went to with some friends i went to Ozfest in 98 mostly to see ozzy but also to see megadeth they were playing um and i saw some like side stage bands like the uh i would say the better end of the new metal stuff like early system of a down that I still like. Um, so that sort of got, got interested in metal through that. And then we're going to, there was a, a CD store near me uh, called CD warehouse. And um, I would hang out there all the time. Um, uh, literally if like my girlfriend was looking at me and I looking for me at high school in high school, pre cell phone, and I wasn't home, she would just go to CD warehouse because I would probably be there. It's just saying that all the, all the time chatting with the employees, but also listening to stuff. I remember seeing on like who I was like, okay, who else has played Ozfest? And like, um, I can't remember if it was the year after I went or the year before I went, uh, I saw like on the side stage, a band called neurosis, never heard of them, but CD my favorite warehouse, band. That's my yeah. favorite band. CD Warehouse had a neurosis CD, so I threw it on and I was like, 
okay, I thought I had an idea. Like I thought I knew what metal was, but neurosis sounds like nothing I've ever heard before. And so I think that was my first <laughs> real, um, um, uh, that sort of like, what was that? Hydra head? Is it, what was that? The, uh, Hydra record? What was the record label they were on? Um, well, their, their record label is their own record label, which is called okay. Neurot recordings. Um, I don't know. They might not have their earliest albums might have been on Hydra head. I can't remember, yeah. but so most I think of I, yeah, I started, the rot. I kind of started getting into that stuff and getting into like, well, I can see how you ended up like, in like experimental it, black. Yeah. Like instrumental, you, instrumental stuff like Pelican. I was really into, um, but then I'll, I'll admit like once I started getting into college more, I kind of went back to being like a hipster and I was listening to broken social scene and animal collective and like all the stuff that mm -hmm. was like big in the early two thousands. And then I remember one, one of the bands I got into, so I kind of fallen out of metal and I, but I also got into the mountain goats and oh, right, right. Um, John Darnell used to have a, a blog called the last planted Jakarta that I would read every time he posted an update, which became less and less often. And now he doesn't update it anymore <laughs> at all. Um, but I remember in 2007, he, cause he's a big metal head he recommended two albums, both I'm forgetting the name of the albums, but the two bands, two grindcore bands that had brand new albums in 2007, pig destroyer and vital remains. And I found both of those both albums awesome. so invigorating. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that pig destroyer kind of especially. Into, yeah. <clears throat> so I've kind of been back into, into metal ever since then, but it's funny you mentioned hardcore. Cause I feel like hardcore, I don't know if it's just that I'm more exposed to it now, but it feel like it feels like hardcore is having a moment again now in some ways but yeah it could just be that i have like a um my wife and i have a 17 year old nephew and he's yeah. a hardcore kid but also weirdly speaking to that thing that i was talking about about there being so much of a divide between the punk kids and metal kids in my, my high school he's a hardcore kid but also a grindcore kid and he's like teaching me about these grindcore bands or there's like a grindcore subcategory called mincecore that he's teaching me about that i'd never like Okay, I don't, I don't even know, know that. Yeah, it's like super lo-fi, straightforward. I, I, it's very cool stuff. But um, but he's I love, like, we talk yeah, I love about grindcore, hardcore. Yeah, but he I, and I know, talk hardcore, about hardcore. There's a because uh, he's really into. He lives here in California, and there's a whole like scene in San Jose right now with like I don't know if you these bands like Gulch and Tsunami, who are both really good hardcore bands right now. There's also mm -hmm. another band from that area called field of flames who were really cool uh so like now i have when i remember when when our nephew was little my wife of course is like oh i hope he never grows up he's such a little kid and i was like i can't wait till he grows up and we could talk about stuff and now like my dream came true he grew up into uh -huh. a punk rocker <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, what i keep trying to do with my kids oh no <laughs> i i you know i i would like to hear some good hardcore i mean i feel like hardcore is really generational whether it's like you know I mean, when I say hardcore, when we say hardcore, I think we're talking about like the victory record sound. We're not saying we're not talking about, you know, people would call like minor threat hardcore or, you know. Oh, sure. Then. Like bad brains now, or all that of that's kinda, like yeah. sucked into punk rock at this point. Yeah. And, um, and you're so, talking about like, like anthems, gang vocals, that yes, kind of like. Yes. Yeah. And um, I think I just. I would like to hear some new good stuff. I don't want to sound judgmental of it. I, at the time I kind of grew out of it. It was very much a growing out of it, you know, like, um, uh, uh, leaving like a scene, like I should say, like feeling like I couldn't enjoy the music if I wasn't really part of the scene. Cause the scene mm -hmm. was so part of it and moving into metal just became a more like personal journey. 
Yeah. Um, I was going to try and recommend, uh, um, cause there's a, uh, one thing I've noticed about hardcore, I feel like more than when you and I were kids, they're hardcore these days. Okay. So that would, that would be interesting. The guy, yeah, I don't know any bands from back in the day that had, yeah. uh, like female vocalist or. Yeah. So there's a band called spoiled who had a, an album earlier. This is really good. And also there's a, uh, um very buzzy within the hardcore world band right now called punitive damage whose album just came out okay. like, earlier this month and it, both of those are really good albums they came out this year and both female fronted hardcore bands um anyway uh, well, well j- just to wrap that up i, I yeah. i've got to just do a big plug for neurosis if anyone out there is not listening to neurosis listen to neurosis like the coolest band ever yeah and um and then just wanted to, to circle back on Megadeth for a moment. I mean, as like, I mean, I, I'm 43 now. I've been listening to metal for decades. So I feel like I'm an old school metal guy. <laughs> and yet Megadeth in my mind was always just like a more 80s version of Metallica. Don't yell at me, but anyone out there listening, because yeah. because obviously I was wrong, because I, I just now have been going back through Megadeth albums and it's like, mind-blowing how great they are megadeth is so freaking awesome and i can't believe i spent my life listening to metal and not listening to megadeth oh yeah yeah um and they can you know they i I, they've put out albums in the last 10 years too that have been like really wavering in in quality um oh sure sure so like there's i mean there's been some surprisingly good stuff i feel like metal bands are somehow less embarrassing as legacy acts than other kinds of rock bands. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like how, like how carcass can like release an album. And it's not like, Oh cute. Carcass has a new album. It's like, this is in, this is one of the great metal albums of the year. Cause like, I, I don't know. Metal just like doesn't seem to age as poorly. Somehow. No. And that's the difference between like metal and hardcore because right. like hardcore <laughs> bands, if I go put on Snapcase album right now, it is a snap shot. Ha ha <laughs> into like a, you know, it's a window into memory and I can enjoy it nostalgically, but it's very hard for me to listen to it and like really connect to it emotionally. unless the emotion is nostalgia, whereas metal, it's just metals forever. Yeah, exactly. All right. Um, <laughs> I'm glad we got that out of the way. But also, I mean, I feel like it, it kind of could be a segue into our topic because I think a lot of people hear metal, even like hear something as, uh, you know, artsy fartsy, if you will, as neurosis, <laughs> but hear mm-hmm. the, the, the minor chords, the heavy, uh, um, uh, distortion. And of course the inhuman, vocals and are just immediately turned off to the point they don't even understand how anyone could like that and i do feel like it's i I don't think this is a particularly groundbreaking observation but i think there's a lot of overlap between metal fans and horror fans yeah Uh, totally and uh i wonder if it's some of the same impulses and that's kind of what we're here to talk about is uh this was an episode that you pitched a year ago (laughs) um called why horror which is uh i think i want to get into why people are drawn to horror which um we can do that first but i also want to get into this is why it's good to have you especially in 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 particular on the show i want to get into what's what draws people to make horror right (laughs) because i i i I wonder are they the same impulse or is there something else that you uh 
I understand why I, I, I have an idea of why I go to horror movies. Um, I don't necessarily have, necessarily have the impulse to make other people feel that way. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I want to I mean, know about that. I, um, I think that distinction is kind of vital. And so, well, first I need to, you know, uh, put out a caveat, which is, I know I pitched this a year ago and I wish I had spent the last year preparing <laughs> and I didn't really until that, it's today. so battleship pretension. That's okay, very good. battleship pretension. <laughs> um, I, I'm, my, I, I mentioned this and we talked on the phone a, a couple of days ago, but my, my favorite um, horror podcast is this podcast called horror Vanguard. And it's like a lefty Marxist Gothic studies podcast, but um, they've had a couple episodes where they get into, you know, the, the anchor points to what they're doing, why, why, why horror for them. And uh, they're just brilliant. And so like, I, I, you know, I can't, I'm not really an academic. I definitely, I went to film school. I studied film theory and philosophy and I have like a kind of a, my compass is an academic compass to what I'm trying to do artistically. But at the end of the day, I just don't have like a, my, my brain's not sharp enough to like actually speak like an academic and to, to pull it all together. So a lot of this is going to be stuff from just like pulling out of, I think the ether or the kind of the, you know, the, the big giant, Thing of yeah. thinking that's been happening, but, but so anyway, long story short, I really haven't been preparing, but I do have some, I think, some really good ideas in terms of getting the conversation started. Uh, well, hey, I, you know, I, I uh, I'll throw this out, then we can really get started. What I find really interesting, I think, is that horror is sometimes seen as like one of the less respectable genres and one of the fringe genres, and like people who are horror hounds or whatever are seen as outside the mainstream but at the same time like every almost pretty much every kid in in most cultures that i know of like grows up with ghost stories like mm-hmm. that that impulse to flirt with terror or to have fun with scaring other people is uh it feels very ingrained in us uh, oh yeah and, and I, I and i don't know why at a certain point it becomes I don't know. It becomes distasteful, I guess. Yeah, no, and 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 horror people are really, you know, sensitive to that. It's like a badge of honor to be into horror, um, as kind of like a, a sign of outsiderdom, which is ironic because for exactly the reason you're pointing out, that we also at the same time are all super aware of like the cliche way of talking about, oh, well, you know, cavemen were telling stories about bears, and that was a type of yeah. horror. But yeah, but we can expand that out. We can say, well you know, Greek mythology. I mean, if you ever, if you read Greek mythology, it is horror stories. Every single story in Greek mythology is absolutely horrific. And, um, you know, Shakespeare. Yeah. Doesn't, Shakespeare. Uh, who is it? Like Oedipus blinds himself. Uh, like that's, that's, a yeah. I mean, you've got monsters, you have, uh, Medea kills uh, her children. That's yeah. sure. You got sexual violation. You've got necrophilia, bestiality. I mean, it's the, the whole gamut of whether it's whether it's about the kind of horror that's about fear or horror that's about grotesque or revulsion or it's everything and then and then you know you go through shakespeare it's the same thing so we it's there's nothing um half of shakespeare's work is is incredibly horrific um i think that it's like the most normal thing in the world and but i also think that there's no reason for us to f- try to like repair the reputation because there's there's something, there's clearly something psychologically vital about all of us pretending 
like horror as an other. I don't, I'm not quite sure why we do it, but I think it must be important for some reason. That's, that's a good point. It's like, if it weren't tantalizingly forbidden, it wouldn't have the same punch. Yeah. And it's like, we're always, I I think, I think we're always all reminding ourselves that it's, you know, wrong. Like, like it's okay to read um, it when you're in the fifth grade, because the culture is, you know, you're doing something taboo and therefore the monstrous things that are in it, you are, it's very clear to you that they are wrong things committed by, you know, the monstrous parts of ourselves. And so we have to kind of always, I think, just have this attitude about horror that it is othered. Yeah. And also that's okay. Um, but also I hadn't thought about though, that angle you're talking about of like, it's okay for kids in a way you were talking about, like, it's okay to read it, to read Stephen King when you're younger, but you're supposed to, you're supposed to mature out of that or something. But- well, no, you're, you're supposed to, we're supposed to all like go, Whoa, I can't believe you're reading that. Like that. It's, oh, okay. it's, there's like a game that's being played. My, my, I think he's asleep now, so I can talk about it. But my my ten year old just started reading Mister Mercedes, the Stephen King book, uh-huh. and he picked that one specifically from the shelf because of the cover. And then I, I vetted it a bit. I mean, I wasn't going. I, he the first thing he wanted to read was like I think Rose Matter or something. And I, I, no way, not not that one. Um, he wanted to read. Also, I don't. Yeah, I don't see a young kid like uh, whether Rose Matter is like fit or not it just seems like it's not the most yeah it's yeah. a cool it's a really cool book but uh it is I, I would it. start with yeah no no i mean i still i my first stephen king book was the fir- my first Stephen king book was the first 100 pages of it and then i was on a boy scout trip and it wasn't my copy and i wasn't able to oh, keep wow. going with it but so then at, the, at a bookstore i bought skeleton crew and night shift so those are my first was those two collections um Oh, but anyway, so, but Walker, my, my older, my 10 year old, he's reading Mr. Mercedes and a part of the fun of it for him is knowing that it's an adult book and like kind of knowing that it's him reading it as something he can wear on his personality. And so as long as that's there, then it's okay because there's this, the boundary has been set by all involved, myself included, that we all know that this is a you know, creepy thing you're doing in quotes or whatever, but that makes it okay. As opposed to like, here's a handbook on how to be. Is he, does your 10 year old get scared by this stuff? Well, yeah, he, um, like a lot of 10 year old, 10 year olds, I was gonna say 10 year old boys, but I'm sure there's 10 year olds in general. Uh, my experience, I just have two boys. So that's my experience. Um, he has a lot of attitude about, you know, his bravery. And so he, tries to not show me he's scared um so because of that i i I do show him horror movies but i i'm careful i'll like for example we'll watch the fog john carpenter's the fog um but i'm not quite but i'm not ready to show him halloween so it's like we find the ones where i feel like i know you can deal with this and it's not gonna you're not gonna take it take it too far too hard but um um i would show he's seen scream which oh, he liked okay. a lot. Yeah. So, but you know, he hasn't, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't dare show him something like martyrs. Uh, I haven't seen martyrs, but yeah. Um, uh, the reason I, I ask is I was talking to uh, a friend of mine who's, who's never been on the podcast. Maybe we should have him at some point. Um, uh, he was like, he's a, um, a writer. He wrote like uh, for 
supernatural um the tv show and he's the hugest like slasher horror guy that i know mm-hmm. he's obsessed with it um with slashers I, in particular particularly yeah i mean he likes uh, other stuff too but like i've never i'm not sure that i have ever seen him in person where he's not wearing a shirt that has michael or jason or something like that mm-hmm. on it he's just like obsessed uh and i was talking to him about this this sort of idea this topic and he was talking about when he was a little kid he was a wimp with this stuff he was so sure. so easily yeah. scared by everything and at a certain point it became like <clears throat> immersion therapy you know or like confronting his fears and then it became uh something that is like stuck with him is in his entire life once he once he got over it then he was like bonded with the genre forever <laughs> Oh yeah. No, I, I, I have a very similar story. I was a total wimp with it and my parents didn't watch horror movies. And so I had, this is my super fast horror story. I spent every, so I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama, but I spent every summer, all summer with, with my cousin and his family in the middle of the country, Louisiana and my cousin and his parents my aunt and uncle, they were, um, they're, they were all horror people. And so early in life, he had seen Texas chainsaw and just, just things that he really enjoyed badges of honor. He really enjoyed wearing. And I was always, uh, so, uh, drawn to horror, but so terrified of it. And I can, my, I can tell you the first three horror movies I saw and, and that they, or at least the first two, and they destroyed me. The first was troll which um, is not scary, but I watched it as, as, as a, I don't know how old I was seven or eight or nine or something. And um, I, I couldn't sleep all night. I mean, just literally could not sleep. And it, it just, it, it destroyed me so hard that I, d- I didn't go near it at the video store until I was like 19 years old. And I was already a huge horror fan, but I was avoiding troll at all costs. And then one day I finally flipped it over and I saw that I, I think it was PG 13 and then not only that, but the quote on the back was that it was a fun family romp. So I'm not sure what about it destroyed me so much, but it destroyed me. And the other was Creepshow, which is also one that's not intentionally super scary, but... Um, yeah, I, I don't know what my first horror movie was. I mean, I definitely was like eased into things with like Ernest Scared Stupid or whatever. <laughs> um, but uh, so we've been talking about our personal experiences, but I think this will kind of get us into... Uh, what people like about horror because my earliest memories of being scared by movies are from the scary parts of movies that aren't horror movies the shipwreck oh, yeah. the, the shipwreck at the beginning of um uh an american tale uh, yeah I yeah yeah i know like, no, the, the 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 cage going into the water and secret of nim uh i've actually never seen secret of nim but well, how about um, the throat yeah, slitting in witness uh, I've never seen witness, but, uh, <laughs> but I have distinct memories of like renting an American tale and like hiding behind the couch during that sequence. But then also when it was over, I wanted to watch it again. Yeah, uh, yeah. and then like, you, you know, I don't, I don't know why these are all water-based, but like Ursula and <laughs> little mermaid was, uh, was very scary to me. <laughs> and then so I my, getting... my ahead, other example ahead. would be, it was, uh, it was less similar was full metal jacket. So the same uncle, <laughs> who I go spent all summer with. He loved Full Metal Jacket. I watched it all the time. And I love Full Metal Jacket, but I loved it for the reason the kid would love it, which is like all the, the drill sergeant yelling stuff. But yeah. every time that the suicide, the suicide scene is is played right. out like a horror, horror film. So every time I would have to go into another room and just wait for it to be over. I just couldn't handle it. 
um that's funny like my uh yeah i grew up in not uh, in a much stricter household i didn't see full metal jacket or things like that until i was in high school uh, i wasn't really allowed to um i was only cautiously allowed to see some pg-13 movies even like red dawn i would rent a lot um mm-hmm. because my dad had seen it and like had deemed it okay uh as a pg-13 movie but um so yeah the scary parts of not scary movies <clears throat> And that's a whole that's were, a whole other episode by the way but we obviously there was something that. that like yeah obviously there was something that implanted in me that i like was seeking that thrill and then i think it really came to a head uh, uh this is going forward many years when i'm in middle school um you probably would have been in high school when this came out in but in middle school i went with some friends a group of friends to see independence day okay but um, i was already I working was, at a movie theater when that came out okay um and there's a couple of like jump scares in independence day uh the big one that i remember is when brent spiner goes to do like the autopsy and he goes to like cut the ribcage open and it like bursts open and like uh-huh. it shoots out or whatever <laughs> and i'm like an 11 12 year old boy there's a girl sitting next to me that i think is cute and in that moment like we all jump and she like grabs my arm and I was, and I think that like thrill of like, that was fun and scary. And this girl just like grabbed me. It was like a big part of what, uh, um, led me to continue to seek out that in, sure. in movies going forward. I that that's why I still, you know, you get the, <coughs> you get the, um, uh, there's a term, um, uh, that r- Tyler and I have Tyler references it all the time on the podcast. I, I I've come to like it. Uh, he taught in Roger Ebert's review of the movie Congo, which isn't okay. really a horror movie. I had some like horror type adventure stuff, but uh, in his review of the movie Congo, he Roger said something along the lines of like false sophisticates will hate it. Real sophisticates will love it. <laughs> and I feel like there is a period. Which I don't know of- if that's true about Congo, but I love <laughs> the idea. But I, I think there's a period that a lot of horror fans go through of that false sophisticate stage where you really look down on jump scares as a cheap tactic, oh, as opposed yeah. to what they actually are, which is a part of the melange. You know, if a movie is only jump scares, yeah, that's going to get old. But that occasional bit of um, uh, building up to something and then like, oh, it's just a cat or something like that. Yeah, um, there's a really I mean, good one is... actually. I, re- I rewatched uh, Ty West's The Innkeepers uh, for the first time with uh, a bunch of friends who hadn't seen it, and none of whom liked it as much as I do. <laughs> um, uh-huh. But there's a. Uh, have you seen The Innkeepers? Oh yeah, I love The okay. Innkeepers. That's so great. there's a part where Sarah Paxton like thinks she hears something outside, and she's like getting closer and closer to the back door, and it's getting closer, and then you realize. Her coworker, a uh, friend of the show, Pat Healy, who we, we thought was taking a nap upstairs, has come down. And the reason we find that is because he says, I don't want to scare you, but I'm standing right beside you. But it's like a, it's a huge jump moment that's also I, I at the same time. I love the artistry of a well-employed uh, jump scare. Um, yeah. And not we, just this... because watching these movies with my wife still gets a pretty girl to grab my arm when, uh, when it happens. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> well, th- this is, I mean, what you're talking about, that Congo quote, just, did, I, I'm only going to mention this because the last conversation kind of sprung into this one. Yeah. And I don't remember. I mean, I think I said it a bunch on that last episode. So just to stress it again, I like all those A24 movies, but I can't help sometimes in discuss in discussing them. I can't help, but come across like a real critic of them because I feel like there is more actual psychological sophistication in something like nightmare on Elm street 
than there is in you know your typical A24 movie that just is, has the trappings of sophistication. Um, I, and again, I always have to like say, oh no, but I like those movies. I do. I don't mean to sound like I'm overly criticizing them, but they all, they're also kind of wearing the emperor's new clothes, but that's okay because I can still like the emperor, even if he's naked. Yeah. Yes. It's the, I mean, this is something that I fight against on the podcast all the time with like stand culture and the idea, like it's okay to criticize the things that you like. Yes. It's okay to yes. find faults with the things that you like. So I, I, I get exactly what you're, what you're talking about is because I think that's what we talked about when you were on the show a year ago was the, the sort of like a uh, condescending term elevated horror, you know mm-hmm. um, uh, the, the idea that uh, because something feels more what's what I'm looking for uh, uh, ponderous that mm-hmm. it is, it, it, it's lent some more, some more weight. You're right. Like, I mean, like, um uh Ari Aster is not a better filmmaker than Wes Craven was. Uh yeah, to I mean, I don't know if you were specifically talking about Ari Aster uh with the A24 horror movies, but like that's that's where I go to because I like <clears throat> I like Midsummer. I didn't love Hereditary, to be honest, but um I like Midsummer, but also I I get how some people get frustrated with the praise that guys like Ari Aster get for as if they're like new voices when like a lot right. of their stuff is and they are new voices based you know chronologically but like a lot of their stuff is is rooted in in horror traditions that are are less uh likely to tear up the festival circuit you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yes um so all that said i want i want to bring us back to where you started which was you brought up a distinction that i kind of think is vital for this discussion, which is why do we make horror movies versus why do we watch them? Yeah. And um, because right away, right from that. So I, as I mentioned, I didn't really spoke. I didn't think hard enough all year on this, but today I did put some thought <laughs> in. So I think yeah. I've got some, some things to throw at you. And um, so right away, we start to see that like the answer why horror is, is complicated by just that, alone right away there's a difference between why we make them or why we why we watch them and if you go back to like the campfire metaphor that turns into why do we tell scary stories versus why do we listen to them yeah or why do we put on the haunted house versus go to it so yeah. there's like there's like definitely a different you know and i think in some ways that the, the thing to really get right is why do we watch them because the answer to why do we make them is because there's we we need someone to watch them you know there's something right okay um it's, it's okay if we bounce all over the place right that's is that's that okay? I'm like, okay so like let me just like jump right into texas chancel massacre because one of the things that i think is really important to constantly as we like academically analyze this stuff we have to also balance it against you know david lynch is catching the big fish because someone like toby hooper didn't set out to make a movie about Vietnam. He, he was just catching the big fish and he, then he produced a work that we're able to see all this stuff in. And so there's always this other counterbalance between like, I was, the reason I'm bringing this up is that I was trying to start, I was starting to talk about how um, part of the reason we make them is because we want you to watch them. Um, and so you know that people or you have a sense that people have a need to see this for some reason. And so you're not making it just to be scary. You're making it because there's a need for it to be seen. And I, I, I think that's what 
I guess that's what it really comes down to is that I think horror is the most vital uh, storytelling that gets done. And if we take it back to Shakespeare and the cavemen and, and um, Greek mythology and consider all that horror, if you, if you go read, you know, the Bible, which is filled with horror, it's there's, there's a real like vitality and major need for horror stories to be heard. And so I think part of the answer to how you make them is like, well, because we want, because, because the people need to hear them. And I, and I just want to like, I'll stop rambling right now, but we have to take all that and balance it up against that catching the big fish thing. Cause at the same time, we're talking about artists making work because people need to see that work. We also have to give artists room to just be delving into their own subconscious subconsciousness and catching that big fish. And they're not necessarily, you know, having all this thought, sorry, that's all over the place. Uh, yeah, I, 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 um, you got me thinking about, um, uh, a, a few things, which, uh, cause I'm not, I am the go to the haunted house guy. I'm not to put on the haunted house guy and the listen to the story guy and the tell the story guy. Um, so I don't, uh, so I'm glad to get your, your perspective on that. Yeah. So the guy at the haunted house who's scaring you is enjoying the hell out of it. Right. Yeah. But it can't be but just not, that it can't not, be. It, it shouldn't be sadistic. Right. Oh, well, that's a whole nother realm. Yeah. So, so yeah. if we're talking about, sadism, but I'm saying like I the think... guy at the, or the guy, like, you know, when, when, and we haven't gone in years, but when Natalie and I would go to Halloween horror nights at universal, uh, city, you know, you walk through the place where there's the guys with like the chainsaws or, mm. or whatever. And they, I, they just know that Natalie is more scared than I am. And they right. just <laughs> flock toward her and they like, leave me alone. Cause I don't seem uh scared but i don't think unless those guys are jerks i don't think it's a sadistic need to like i'm well, gonna scare this, this there may be I... a sadist in the group but i think Maybe. let's just yeah. take that off the table so that yeah. that's like the exception that's i think that's that's when you get into actual mental problems where these where you're not you're not um you know inside of humanity engaging with the stuff the way we're talking about it right now it's like i think that's a whole nother discussion yeah. So we, I think we can just assume we can take sadism off the table. Yeah. Um, but they're like, <clears throat> it's a, it's a game. It's a, and it's a, it's a release. You know, I did, I also like you didn't do any research until today, but uh, I did find, uh, or luckily he tweeted it out. Um, Jason Bailey uh, wrote a thing for uh, flavor wire. I think now I forget like, I don't know, six, seven years ago or something like that. Um in which he covered this this topic and he referenced a study that i i hadn't heard of that that uh was really interesting was that basically the same group of people were first shown okay here's some real like gory footage surgery footage like actual like this is dismemberment this is autopsy this is like actual real stuff and a lot of people turned their heads or left the room or whatever but the same people when they were watching a gory horror movie were less likely to, to do that there because mm -hmm. when they, when you know, it's not real as much as like my wife is scared by the chainsaw guy at Halloween horror night. She knows it's not real. She knows that. Exactly. Guy's not, and yeah. he knows that she knows that. So that's part of the interplay between the scarer and the scary is there's sort of an agreement that at the end of it all, 
we're going to emerge into daylight or whatever, <laughs> you know, right. um, it's, it's right. going to be okay. You know, the credits are going to roll. And, and um, so uh, I, I think to get back to the question, the, to- the, the question of the episode, why horror, it's as much about the, the thrill and the rush of, of, hormones or endorphins or whatever it is that you get from being scared as it is about the release from when it's over and you and you know just like being on a roller coaster it's scary but you know at the end you're going to glide back into the station yeah uh, and i think that's su- a big part of it yeah we can kind of sum a lot of that up in in the word rehearsal and it's it's a way it's a that's so so here's here's like our first on our kind of road um on our like like Sorry, my wife keeps texting me about Hulu, but I think she's done now. Okay. On our, on our like uh, journey for recommendations. <laughs> no, no, it's the password. <laughs> I'm going to play with this episode so she can hear it. Cause I've been very distracted with this password issue. Um, I've on been our... watching, by the way, real quick, speaking of Hulu uh, for October, I've been watching uh, the first season of um, Castle Rock. Did you, I know you're a Stephen King guy. Did you watch? Yeah. Castle Rock? Uh, I only saw one or two episodes and I liked it, but I, yeah, I just, there's so much to watch. I never, yeah. never finished it up. Yeah, it, yeah. It's pretty good, but it's more of a mystery than it is horror. There's a few like things mm-hmm. in every episode that are like, Oh, but like, I think I went into it wanting to be more scared by it, but it's a uh, right. Uh, more mystery and, and very character based and uh Sissy space, I guess. Great. But uh, anyway, that just, if your wife's looking for recommendations, uh, that's on Hulu. Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. <laughs> uh, I think she's still, she's still, she's like in the middle of whatever's happening on hands handmaid's tale right now. Okay. And like, yeah, I'm not sure what season that's on now. Um, but so, so, so I think we've like come upon our first stop on the journey. Cause I, cause, okay. I, cause, cause what I wanted to like the, my principal, my, my, the, my overarching thesis here is going to be that there isn't one easy answer to like, why do you watch horror movies? And, um, and I'll unpack that in a moment, but like the first stop we're making here is this, this idea of rehearsal of um, this goes back to, you know, around the fire with the ancient peoples who are living on the plains and scared of bears or whatever. I mean, I'm painting a very uh-huh. stereotypical picture, but you know what I mean? Just like we, we, we yeah. think back um, telling scary stories about nature as a way to rehearse the real interaction that is going to be, I mean, what, what the only, what's that Camus thing about the only philosophical problem is suicide. I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's really true, but, but, but the real philosophical problem is death. And so horror is a Mm -hmm. way to constantly be confronted with the reality of existence, but to do it in a way that turns it fun because it's rehearsal. It's not real. And yet it is kind of real because you are, confronting the the only real truth of existence and so when you and 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 so we can then like start putting that into all kinds of categories like fear of fear the mutilation is like a fascination with something that's tangentially connected to death so seeing something gory can become fun because you're wallowing inside of something wallowing inside of this terrible thing that has been made okay to wallow in whereas if you watch like the real thing uh, it's actually re- repulsive. So I feel like that this re- rehearsal is like one idea of why we watch horror movies. Uh, yeah, I, I um, uh, and I wonder if that I, I, I have a hypothesis in regards to that if because as with 
comedy and other sort of subjective things, like different types of things scare different people, you know? And I've, I found that with, um, I'll keep using my wife as an example because there was a very funny story a few years ago. I had seen, um, annihilation, uh, and, uh, Alice Garland's annihilation. I really liked it. Uh, and I was telling her it was really good. I was like, I think you like it. You know, it's always ladies in it. Um, and, uh, she was like, is it scary? And I was like, it's not really like scary, scary. And then so she went and like saw it in the middle of the afternoon and came back and she was like, that was one of the scariest fucking movies I've ever seen in my life. How dare you? So like different things scare different people. Um, and I wonder if that's because we fear different things. And so the rehearsal, different types of rehearsal work better. Um, I've. Well, and we're also. Uh, I, I, the, Real real quick, real quick. The the example that I often throw out as a movie that really, really frightens me every time I watch it um, is M. Night Shyamalan Signs. I still haven't. I got to watch Signs. It's like a major hole. It's not that I'm particularly scared of alien invasions, though that is definitely um, uh, something that I think about. But Signs is specifically a a movie about a former preacher who has lost his face at face faith after his wife's death mm-hmm. and now is confronted with this thing that he, that no one on earth has any guidebook to deal with. And he doesn't have his faith to fall back on anymore. And as a person who is an atheist, um, that does sometimes freak me out. Like that, that like I am, you know, I'm most of the time, almost all of the time, I don't second guess my atheism, but if I do, if I think about it too much, if I think about what if I'm wrong, what if there's, what if there's something mm. out there and I'm denying it, um, uh, that gets me thinking. And so the fact that, that science is a movie about, uh, faith about God as something that can protect you. And also faith as something that can reassure you, uh, as an atheist is something I find really fascinating and actually scares me a lot, but other people mm. I know are like, like they think science is cool or it's surprisingly funny for a horror movie, but um, uh, aren't that scared by it, but I find mm-hmm. science to be terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, so that's, so your science example is a perfect example that connects with what you were saying about kind of different strokes, right? Like mm-hmm. different things scare us. And I think that is a valid point. I would also add to that, just that everyone's on a different path and different journey. And so, um, you know, I, I've got a couple friends here in Ithaca who just aren't into horror and never were. But I, I'm I'm a huge I'm I'm very committed to uh nurture as opposed to nature. You know, I believe in that we we're inside of structures and the structures create us. And who's to say that my buddy, my buddy David, who is very feel he he's very allergic to horror. Um, I think that if he had grown up in my shoes and had certain nostalgic experiences and summer camp moments and things that I had that, that, that drew me to horror, that, that he might be a totally different person today. You know, the path you're on really, really creates a lot of who you are. So, um, so that's, I, I only, I only say that to say that like, yes, uh, one horror movie can be scary to one person or another, but I think a lot of that just has to do with where they're at, how many horror movies they've seen, what kind of, or what age they're at. Here's a, here's an even better example. Something like Friday the 13th part eight, Jason takes Manhattan. 
I mean, I guess like a three-year-old child might be scared by that movie, but it's really hard to imagine someone being scared by it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Is that the reason so, he like punches the guy's head off? Yeah, so I mean, that maybe, maybe, maybe that kind of stuff could, could, could freak out a kid. But I, the, the reason I bring that up is I want to throw a curveball into the discussion because you've, you've mentioned the word scary a couple times. And like, I think as we start to, to ex, um, broaden out the question, why horror? I think it'll just, I think it keeps getting broader because when you start talking about something like Jason takes Manhattan or even better, Jason X, Jason in space, um, was the purpose to be scary and yet it's still a horror movie so you start to then have to go okay well if we like back all the way up and the starting place is asking ourselves why was this made what was its what was the intention behind it and when i say intention i mean like the ex, um, existential the ex, the experiential intention how was it supposed to affect people um was it you know there's a huge difference between a scary movie like um, that one that just came out uh, speak no evil. Have you heard of this movie? I've heard it's great. It, it is. It. So it has, okay. it has a very specific kind of unnerving it has a very specific unnerving yeah. quality. That's super different than like the Texas Chainsaw massacre, which is also got an unnerving quality, but they're totally different and they had different intentions for the effects they wanted to have. And so then, then those intentions are really what created the type of horror movie. And so like I could bring it back to Jason X, there was an intention behind it and it just can't, that intention just could not be to be scary. You know what I mean? And yet all these are horror movies. Yeah, so how I, do I we think, recognize them as horror movies? If well, we don't know what. I'll uh, speak for my absent co-host who is, who is Tyler has made this point before that something can be horrific without being scary mm -hmm. you, you know what i mean like um some of the examples uh, i realized before you were talking about greek mythology and i was talking about greek drama or greek tragedy or whatever but um uh odysseus putting his own eyes odysseus uh, oedipus putting his own eyes out is not like necessarily scary it's just but it's horrific sure um, yeah yeah and uh i think that probably gets uh, goes back to your um uh rehearsal idea but also i think there's a see, there's no, got to be something else see that's but, why i'm saying like rehearsal can only be a part of it but because once you start to get a little bit like jason x there's no rehearsal in jason x it's like it's, it's doing something real specific that is really fun it's not really a comedy but it's not really horrific it's not it's not revolting in any way but i mean and yet jason it's still x, doesn't it have like um the woman gets her like face frozen by like uh um what is it like nitrous oxide or whatever uh -huh. and then like a face gets smashed like yeah that's yeah. horrific dying i mean i guess i'm maybe horrific. i'm jaded <laughs> yeah i think maybe you're jaded I, I just mean like it's but um but it's funny but, it's not it's not gross i i, I the reason I'm, I'm okay okay wait go ahead go ahead I'd say the reason I'm stressed on this stuff is I think there's like an even more exciting way to look at the why horror question. Okay. Yeah. That, I think this is what I'm going to all this stuff. This is what I'm going to, uh, uh, try to contend with here is that that idea, uh, everyone's heard of that idea of like, when you're up on the roof of a tall building, there's something in you. That's like jump. Absolutely. What if I jumped? And that's um, a true story. I mean, we've all right. Yeah. We've all been there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh so i do think there's like where 
um obviously we're scared to die but i think a lot of us are also very like fascinated by it it's something like that mm-hmm. is unknown we don't know what happens we don't know what it's like and so i do think there's something i mean this is fun about coming up with yeah uh so, something fun about watching different ways that people could could die um yeah because and it's safe so that's what we're talking about safe. the distancing yeah. it's like it's presented as entertainment it's got some distance to it and then we're able to yeah. play play but, a little bit in the guts um but then I, you know, I, I, I can't speak for on behalf of everyone, because like you said, you have, um, friends who were, who were not into horror. I remember I had a, a friend in college who couldn't st- like, who's generally fine with horror. What he couldn't stand was horror comedy. He couldn't stand the, like we went to see George Romero's land of the dead, uh-huh. uh, which has some, like, like a lot of those George Romero movies, it's like, has some gory stuff, but it also there's occasionally like, uh, that person died in a funny way. You know, mm-hmm. uh, that, that happens. And he couldn't like, he hated that. Like he hated mm-hmm. people laughing at other people, uh, dying. So again, I, I'm not sure what point I'm making other than to reiterate what you were saying is that everyone's at a different place with this stuff. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone is in a, is in a different place is the best way to say it. And we all have, you know, it's, it's all doing the same thing though. It's all kind of confronting death. It's it. And it's, I, I like to think of horror and I'll start to kind of back into like the umbrella that I'm envisioning for like okay. what goes over all this, this whole conversation is like horror as a, con- as a confrontation with reality. Um, and I have a couple different ways to say this, that I think all kind of work together and I'm making them all up today. So, and I'm not a proper academic. So like, you know, who knows if this stuff holds up, but I like the idea of horror as a confrontation with reality and I also like the idea of horror as like a, a report, like a, like a confrontation or an engagement or report with like psychic reality. Um, a lot when I, when I was younger and would think about like, why do new, like, why do new movies have to be made about the Holocaust? Why can't we just watch all the ones that have been made? I think the answer is, is that we need a report about the emotional history that comes from our moment. And then you can take that idea and you can broaden that out to all art and say, well, why do we make all new art in general? I mean, I've, there's plenty. I can look at art all day, every day for the rest of my life and never see it all. So why do I need new art? Well, I think it's because we need new reports back from like the emotional history of our moment. And I kind of feel like horror is, is yelling the loudest you know, it, horror is like the biggest amplification of our psychic space and our emotional space. And it's like a, just a giant exaggeration in some ways of just, and the, you look at something like in like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, if that it, it's, it's about the psychology of the moment in real life, there's no leather face running around with chainsaws, cutting people's faces off, but it's an exaggeration of the psychic reality at the moment. So I think that's essentially what horror is. And it becomes a mirror that is held up no matter what kind of yeah. horror it is and that this this dovetails with the episode that scott and i did a couple weeks ago when we were talking to movies about the internet because we had an entire like subsection of that episode that was about like horror movies about the internet and like as like new things come to exist in our live lives we have 
new anxieties or at least new ways of processing our anxieties. And so mm-hmm. we keep having to make movies to hold a mirror up to, or to process that. I, I think I'll, I'll once again, reference, uh, uh, Daniel Goldhaber's cam, which is a movie that, uh, I don't know if you I saw love uh, yeah. that movie. It is yeah. so good. It's crazy. And I really didn't know it'd be that good. Just a quick side, you know, side trip, trip, trip into that movie. Um, I wouldn't have normally watched it because it looked like just some sleep. I mean, I'm not trying to diss the movie, but just the poster yeah. of it. And I'm like, okay, what well, I, 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 just some sleazy trash. I don't know what this is. And, and I watch <laughs> a lot of trash, but it's a specific kind of trash that I wasn't sure I was interested in. And then I heard it recommended on um, the faculty of horror podcast. Okay. They did an episode with cam and I think it was perfect. Not perfect. Blue. It was an anime film anyway. Um, and that got me interested. And when I watched it, I was blown away. What a great movie. Yeah. Yeah. Love Cam. And, and I mean, that's uh, definitely a movie about the idea of um, losing our self identity to our created self identity and, and like losing our sense of self as we, as we like divide ourselves into like, here's my, IRL me or IRL me and here's my Twitter me and here's my Instagram me and like here's my work me and my family me or whatever and just like um, uh, as as that's become more more the divided sense of self I think Cam is a movie that confronts the the existential horror of uh, oh sure who, of who am I if I'm all these yeah. different people in all these different situations who am I actually I mean that might be like the best that and and Pulse would be like the best internet movies. I haven't seen Pulse. Um, Not the seen, remake. Uh, uh, have you seen a, the movie from just earlier this year or last year? Uh, We're all going to the World's Fair. No, um, yeah, I don't even really, know that movie. It's really good. It's more like just sort of generally uh, creepy than it is like a horror movie. But um, mm-hmm. I would definitely recommend it. We're all going to the World's Fair. Good movie. Okay. Well, I'm going to go back and listen to that. I missed that episode that you were talking about, and I'm very curious to listen to your discussion on internet movies. Yeah. Internet horror movies. Well, I mean, that was just a part of it, but yeah. Um, what, what else did you have under your umbrella? Was that the... Well, that, so that that was like the the kind of what I laid out, like the, yeah. the, the report back from psychic, from like emotional, the amplification of psychic reality, right. the confrontation with reality. I think it's a way to think about, I mean, I'm not the person who's, who's called horror, the return of the rep- repressed, but that's like a normal way to look at horror is like the return of the repressed. But one, the, the kind of twist on all this stuff that I was having fun with earlier tonight, I was watching my kids and I've been working through all the old episodes of, are you afraid of the dark? But they don't require a lot of attention. Not, not, not the kids that the show, I mean, so I'm able to like write and think while watching it, you know? And, um, and uh, so anyway, I was, we were watching one episode tonight and I was writing in my notebook and the kind of addition to all that stuff that I was just laying out that I think is interesting is if you take it all and say, okay, well maybe horror is a mirror. That's like one way to look at it. And it's this, this confrontation with reality Um and you could think of any horror movie as a mirror being held up, showing like a like an like a amplified version of psychic reality. Uh, and then I started thinking, okay, well, what if? And this is just spitballing. This could make no sense, but I think it's a more fun way to think about it than just than just saying. So, like the, the first response to that would be, well, okay, if horror is a mirror, then horror must be a funhouse mirror. That would seem to make the most sense because horror is so distorted. Now, I don't know if I can really talk about what I'm about to say in a way that makes sense, but I think it's 
very cool. And like maybe, maybe over the next year, I can figure out a way to make it sound, sound right. But I think it's more interesting to think about if, if horror, if it's a funhouse mirror, then maybe horror is on the, the side of the mirror that we would normally think of as the existence called reality. And reality is actually the distortion. And there's something about the, the amplification between the two that causes this, this like kind of, you know, the insanity of what we think of as horror, but it's, um, I don't know. It's not fully yeah, formed, I, but there's something but I, interesting. In I that. would actually, um, let, let me offer the, the, the second argument, okay. the, the opposite argument, which is that it is life and reality that is messy and insane and horror, just like we were saying, there's all these different types of horror and different things are to carry different people. Horror stories and horror movies allow us to safely look at one element of a time at one element of the insanity that is life at a time to help us, to help us understand it by. So in, in a way, horror m- minimizes the terrifyingness that is. Oh my God. I love that you uh, use the word minimize because isn't <laughs> so much horror about stripping away. Right, right. I mean, every horror movie is you're stripping people down, back down, and this is why I think of ho- if it's if it's a reflection, it is the reality because we live a very dis- in a very distorted way. I mean, if you think about what like our actual brains think we should be doing, it's not living in houses, it's not using Zoom, it's not driving <laughs> cars at eighty miles per hour. You know what I mean? It's not all these things that we do constantly, all day, every day is are at odds with what our our a million years of evolution thought we should be doing so we are living in a very super distorted way already which causes all kinds of psychological problems and um i think bringing horror into our lives is like a pro can be thought of as a process of stripping away and it and it and it's scary to strip away and death is the ultimate Death is the ultimate stripping right. away. Boiled all the way down to its essence. Uh, yeah. That's what life is, death. Um, oh, that's great, dude. Uh, it reminds me, and then we should probably start wrapping up, but um, I don't know if this would be considered a horror movie or a movie about horror, but um, the movie Shadow of the Vampire, to uh-huh. me, that is a movie about, because it's, I don't know if you've seen it, it's a fictionalized version of the making of Nosferatu that imagines that the actor who played the vampire Nosferatu was actually a vampire in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw it and, and I remember loving it, but I don't, it was so long ago. I don't remember <laughs> the movie. But what I found so interesting about that movie that I even like wrote a, a little essay on in college, in college on this is that it's about the hubris of a director who thinks he can capture an entire truth on film and that's why the movie is mm-hmm. called the shadow of the vampire because that's the best you're going to get the vampire mm-hmm. to go back to my analogy before the vampire is the horrifying truth of life and trying to actually get the whole thing into one work of art is is folly and hubris the best you're going to get is the shadow but that doesn't mean the right. shadow doesn't help us to understand what the vampire is oh precisely being yeah of, yeah uh, now I, I want to watch that movie again. It's been a long time since I've seen that movie, but it's uh, it's really great. Uh, anything else? Or should we have an eye towards wrapping up here? I think, I mean, I think I unloaded everything that I was great. thinking about, you know? Um, I mean, there's a bunch, if we were to just like start kind of then going in revert. So we, we ended at a really, 
I think um, high level. Right. And I, and I would, I would uh, propose that everyone listening now assume that that's the starting place. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And then underneath that, we can start dividing up all the different types of horror. And by different types, I don't mean, I don't mean genre. I don't mean uh, a subgenre. I don't mean like horror comedy or horror musical. When I say type, I mean uh, the point of the piece. So if the piece is meant to be gory, if it's meant to be repulsive, if it's meant to be suspenseful or scary. And then so underneath like the idea of this kind of mirror reality thing we were talking about, we can then start to, to take each individual piece of horror and say, well, what is its intention or even better? Like, what is it doing? Forget intention. Um, what is it doing? Right. Yeah. And then we can then com- try to figure out it, how it's helping us in some way, it, whatever it's doing, what is it giving us psychologically or for that matter, what is it? What is it helping us strip away psychologically? Well, I think that's uh, to be discussed in future horror episodes. We'll have to come up with one for next year. Um, but uh, thank you for being here and talking horror with us once again. Thank you. I, I'm, I apologize. It was so rambly, but I, I actually no, really that's, enjoyed that's the nature I really of the enjoyed show. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, great. Uh, listeners, you can find us, of course, at battleshipretention.com. You can email us at david at com or tyler at com. You can follow me on Twitter at Tyler, sorry, at David, Davy Pretension. Follow Tyler at Tyler Pretension, but also again, check out caringbridge.org slash visit slash Tyler and Jennifer Smith to find out what's going on with Tyler and how you can help. Um, also check out my other podcast, which is called The One Where I Met Your Mother, where my wife and I watch an episode of Friends and an episode of How I Met Your Mother every week. We are just about to embark on season four. We just wrapped up season three of Friends. Um, we had wrapped up season three of How I Met Your Mother a few weeks ago because it's not the same number of episodes. But we're about to kick off season four of of, of both shows. Um, so now is a great time to join in on The One Where I Met Your Mother uh, so find that where you find podcasts or battleshipretention.com uh, email me at david at battleshipretention.com I think I said that already uh, Dallas where can people find you uh, and your work on the internet um, I don't I don't really have a much of a presence um, I have an Instagram account but I'm not on Twitter or Letterboxd or anything I mean I think I am but I don't do anything with them um, in terms of my work uh, Pat Horvath and I made a great movie called Entrance that's still available in the world and uh, and then we also worked on a movie called Southbound that you can watch on uh, Amazon and I think Hulu and whatnot. Um, and then I've got some new stuff cooking. So by by the ne- by next Halloween when we talk, I'll have something new in the can that I can talk about. That's very exciting. Uh, thanks again for joining us. Thank you. Was- Thank you for having me. I loved it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you at home for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 